Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 36 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge, first draft edition. And I know if I sound surprised when I say what day we are on, it is because I'm surprised. I'm barely keeping track. Every day I kind of show up at my computer. I'm like, okay, what day are we on? It's day 36. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Uh, today is our first day of the week of talking about managing the messy middle. Um, and to help us out, we're talking to Nicole Vecchiati. Nicole has worked in publishing since 1997, working at a large publishing house with small boutique literary agents, booksellers, and even a book distribution company. In 2006, she founded Union Park Press, a Boston-based book publisher specializing in regional nonfiction. She sold the press in 2019, but her titles are still being published by Globe Peacock Press. Her novel incubator manuscript, Mommy Land, is currently locked inside a drawer. So many of us have manuscripts <laughs> currently not just walked inside a drawer. While she finishes her second novel, The Weather Girl, which I've also had a chance to listen to a short part of. It's so brilliant. The Weather Girl is a dark comedy featuring a superhero, a meteorologist, and an angsty teenager battling climate change. Nicole, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Good morning. I'm so thrilled to be here. Awesome. So I'm going to have Nicole talk brilliantly with us about escalations. Um, but today I also wanted to talk about the idea of the signature. And I think I'll introduce the idea of the signature first and then we'll build on escalations. OK, what am I talking about when I'm talking about the signature? This is an idea that Philip Gerard writes about in his essay called An Architecture of Light. And you can find this essay by Philip Gerard in Julie Chekaway's book, creating fiction. And so I'll put that in the chat and as well as in the show notes. So he actually talks about um, a cathedral. And he says, when we walk into a cathedral, we just think of, we're thinking <clears throat> of everything except for the bricks. And we're thinking of everything except for what is actually holding up the cathedral. And so we walk into a cathedral and we think of the light. We think of what we feel. Um, we think of the sound or the lack thereof. We think of this transcendent emotion that we have or not anger, if depending on what your upbringing um, has been in terms of religion. Um, and this is oftentimes what we think of when we're entering a book. Our heads are in the clouds a bit when we think about writing a book. And we don't think about, again, the brick, um, <laughs> the, the mortar, um, the work that actually goes into the tools that actually go into building that cathedral. And we certainly don't think about what holds up the ceiling of the cathedral because we don't even want to think about that because that seems impossible. Um, so he says that writers really need to get down and dirty and they need to be able to think about those bricks and be able to become workmen in order to make their uh, novels work. And this, is, and this is how he introduces the signature in his essay. He says, one useful place to begin is to encapsulate the thrust of your novel into a signature, as in music, defining the key, the pace, the range of tonal possibilities. Think of Moby Dick, madman goes hunting for a white whale. Anna Karenina, beautiful woman marries the wrong man. Huckleberry Finn, two guys float down a river on a raft trying to escape to freedom. 
The signature expressed as one simple defining sentence may sound trivial, but it can focus your effects. It can be very, very helpful to find. It will seem very simplistic, very small. Like I think I oftentimes am referring to Great Gatsby because it's just an interesting book to talk about structurally. Great yeah. Gatsby is Boy Wants the Girl. That's it. Yeah. So once you find that line though, you can't just let the line rest. <laughs> You need to find the line and build it into an arc or into escalations. And this is what I'm going to have Nicole talk about in terms of how she thinks about escalations in her work and how she attacks escalations. All right, Nicole, go yes. for it. Okay. So what is an escalation? I think an escalation is a story event, a complication, a conflict, or an obstacle, perhaps, that propels the protagonist further and deeper into their journey by forcing the character to make a choice or take another action. So escalation essentially is a function of plot. But as we know, plot is really a function of character. And I think yeah. that's really key. And we have to always remember that. Um, and in that word escalation, we have the word scale. So sometimes I try to imagine, I put my character on a mountain face, you know, almost that Freytag yep. triangle and he's holding on or she's holding on for dear life. And so every little foothold, every little crevice, every ledge, it's how that character is going to get up that mountain. Um, and once they get to the mountain, the top of the mountain, they can decide for themselves, have they changed or I can decide for them, have they changed? Did they achieve what they wanted? Was it the goal that they really wanted? Did they go up Which the right side isn't. of the mountain? Yeah. yeah. Did they go up the wrong side of the mountain? You know, it's, <laughs> but it, they're always climbing because if they just hold on, they'll fall and they'll mm -hmm. die. So it's that constant movement of mm -hmm. going towards one's goal. And um, I think, I think mountain climbing is interesting because there are parts um i'm constantly being led on one hike over the other and um and i'm very goal oriented so as you're climbing there are parts that you start to go down again and you're like damn it right i don't want to go down i want to keep going up um and so but i do think those sorts of if we talk about escalation you are you are always trying to escalate you are always trying to keep it going and if you let up on that too much you're going to lose all the attention in the book yes. however there will be probably parts that are some release in some way or that oh, are yeah. some downwards in some way so it's not going to be a, a complete um so so a complete um uh angle upwards so so to think about it that way is a mountain i think is useful yeah yeah, yeah. and i i like I often try to think about, you know, how do we do it? You know, how yeah. do we, you know, how do we get them up this proverbial mountain? And the mountain can be quiet and the mountain could be big, you know, but the mountain is just, you know, a metaphor, obviously for the goal. Um, but, you know, so George Saunders is probably, you know, the most brilliant guy ever when it comes to escalation. Yeah. And all he says is always be escalating. Yeah. You, know, you, you just don't stop. Um, and what he really looks at is patterns and disruptions. And one of the things that took me a really long time to learn um, was that a novel makes very quick work of a pattern at the beginning of a story. Mm -hmm. The inciting incident really is that first escalation that's launching us into the story. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, you know, every time we're sort of at a resting point, you know, the tension has dissipated. It's a new pattern. Mm -hmm. And we have to disrupt that pattern. Mm -hmm. And so how do you keep going about, you know, disrupting patterns in order to constantly incite change? Mm -hmm. in character? 
And you have to, eventually the disruptions are gonna become, if you do them too similarly, they're gonna become, uh, we expect them and they're not gonna work. Yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me, Saunders talks um, in particular about Donald Bartomeu's story, The School. Yeah. Um, and which is a crazy story. And you can find it on you can find it online if you do a search. Donald Bartomeu's The School. And it's about a teacher who's running a school. And I think the gerbil is the first to die. Um, and then um, an exchange student dies. And then yeah. the, <laughs> the classroom nerd dies. Or anyway, there just is a number of deaths. And I'm not it's it's a comic, darkly comic story. Um, and he keeps having to repeat this pattern and play this trick, but he also knows that we're gonna get bored if the same escalation occurs over and over and over again. Yeah. So he has to um, he has to upset the expectation. Um, and so that's important. I also thought about, I'm gonna go back to Davy Snively's discussion of um, the Wizard of Oz that we had earlier in this series. There's a pattern there because you have Dorothy goes to the her neighbor's house and her neighbor and and does something that pisses the neighbor off um and that that's actually the first inciting incident because uh, dorothy has overstepped you mm know -hmm. in, in a way um and then you have the repeat re repetition of the of the pattern because then dorothy really oversteps by actually killing the witch or actually stepping on the witch, the, the house landing yep. on the witch. And the witch is basically a, a replacement of the neighbor. So that is it, that's an escalation of that pattern. Yeah. But if but if Dorothy continued to kill people yeah. <laughs> by smashing them or putting, you know, continued in quite that same way, the 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 story would begin to lose its lose its power. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. And so how else do you do it? What other yes. tricks in your arsenal do you have? And you know, one of the things you can do is raise or change the stakes. Um, you know, and that's just another way to increase the consequences of a character's actions and reveal yeah. more about that character. And because stakes are about the emotional impact a character's success or failure has, right? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about um, Sandra Schofield's discussion of consequences on the podcast with you and, um, you know, her advice to focus on the escalations and consequences from scene to scene. Mm -hmm. um, that was really a key for me. You know, once I started looking at my escalations from scene to scene and what the consequences were, what that loop to loop is, you yeah. know, action taken, there's a consequence felt, and then you loop and you're propelled out with another escalation, um, it really started to make the work of a novel seem more manageable. Yes. So if we think of escalations as that, like that line that you're looking for, um, and consequence is probably again, um, the, the individual brick <laughs> helping you build that line of escalation. Um, you cannot get there without, without looking at consequence because it yeah. means that each scene is gathering meaning Yep. Um, and it's then going to escalate to the next scene and the next scene and the next. And um, and it's just about paying attention to what you've already built, totally. how much of the wall that you've already got there um, as you move forward. Um, Nicole, do you do this as you write? So I'm sort of a planter um, and I, yeah. <laughs> I usually have a, an A and a Z. Um, in terms of, I know where I'm starting and I know kind of where I want to go. 
Um, and it's that murky middle. That's the tricky part for me. And so it's sort of, um, looking at sequences of scenes or scenes in themselves and how, um, I, I sort of say, okay, well, what can happen here? What can happen here? You know, and a lot of times what I'm doing when I'm writing now is I sort of stop myself at a point and I say, or at a good breaking point, like say the first act, I stop there and I say, okay, what does the reader know? Mm -hmm. What does the reader want to know based on what I've told them? And then how, what, what, how, what uh, devices, what scenes can I create in order to show them what I want them to know? So that they're in the process of learning it. And also how quickly and how slowly do I want to parcel out that information? And that's really, I think of, that was sort of like a big aha moment for me personally. Um, Because when we take an escalation, we could break, I find myself oftentimes breaking out sort of an escalatory beat into mini little segments, peppering them through to create suspense and tension and a sense of urgency in the reader so that they want to keep turning the page. Conversely, sometimes escalations have to be big and loud. You know, maybe your midpoint needs something to turn that novel around, you know, so that you have a new trajectory. Um, But, you know, we want to think about, or I want to think about the volume and pace that I'm using escalation because if they come too loud and too fast, it's melodramatic, Mm -hmm. but if they come too quiet and too slow, it can be dull, you know, Mm -hmm. even if you're not repeating the beat, you know, taking Saunders word as credo, you know, never repeat a beat, Mm -hmm. Um, always force your characters to to be experiencing, seeing, doing something different and new. Yeah. Um, So notice, I think what's important there is that you are asking yourself, what are my readers' questions yeah. to help you? Um, and then you are also, uh, you are talking about what is the information that I want the reader to know Yes, um, yes. and helping you with that. And that's something we're also going to talk about later this week with Jim Shepard, because he talks about the rate of revelation, which is the rate of revelation is all about the rate at which you reveal information. Um, yeah. So that's going to build on that. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, some yeah. people are referencing in the chat. And so the the um, the George Saunders idea of always be escalating, he talks about this on his own Substack um, uh, uh, page, which I recommend. Um, but he also talks about this in an essay. Um, and I'll try to put the essay itself in the show notes. Um, and he references a a little, a toy car um, track. Um, And what was so exciting to me about this essay is that I actually had this track when I was young and I would sit in the basement and play by myself. And so it's a track that goes into a circle and it has a little car wash machine. And, And so the track, the car is going around in a circle. And when it goes through the car wash machine, it, the car wash machine actually spins it out faster to make it so it can go around the same circle again. And so you need, you need that car wash to pick up the car and to, and to quicken the pace. However, I love George Saunders, but however, if you stay on that same track with the same car wash, the whole novel, actually even more than one time around, you're going to be in trouble. Um, so you're always going to be having to create 
uh, a better car wash with with each escalation, right? And and a better and a, a different, slightly different track. Again, breaking breaking that pattern a little bit. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think that that's really really important. And I think that um, oh shoot, I just lost it. Nicole, we you you got a little quieter. So um, can you just, hear me now? Yeah, or just speak up a little bit. Go okay. ahead. Um, I just lost my idea, my thought. It was really brilliant. Too. It was brilliant, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, another, um, so I'll let you think about that. Um, uh, Antonia Nelson also talks about escalations. You know, we, we think about plot, we think about characters. She talks about it in terms of theme. Um, and she talks about, in, in terms of James Baldwin's story, Sonny's Blues. Oh, and, yeah. and there's two different ways in which um, the... Uh, the story is escalating and she says it's escalating through the theme of music. And so what we see is that the character is getting closer and closer and closer to his brother's, his brother's a musician, to his brother's form of music. And so we see scene after scene repeated and we actually are in present scenes and then we go into past scenes. Um, and we still, even in those past scenes, let's see those escalations. So why his mind so the first, the first period is that he, I think he hears two little boys whistling on the street and it makes him think of his brother um, and it's a past scene. And I think he hears his brother's music on the radio. So notice that that's an escalation in, in musical style, um, but he's not that close to his brother yet. And he's gonna continue to get closer to his brother's music as the story continues, but he makes the escalation from the present of the boys whistling to the past of remembering hearing his brother's music for the first time in the radio. And so you're still escalating, even though you're going backward in time, Yeah, yeah. which feels almost impossible. But, and so the, so the story continues to function that way. It's, it's Sonny's, Blue, uh, Sonny's Blues by James Baldwin. And I would look at it because as he's escalating the music theme, He's also escalating how close he's getting to his brother um, in terms of memory and in terms of understanding his brother. Right. Um, it's another way to another trick in our, our tool bag, right? Where we can further um, the story uh, by deepening our understanding of a thematic element um, in a story, you know, so. I can't remember who the brilliant person was that you um, had on the podcast, but some people, uh, oh, it was Sandra Schofield again. And she was saying, sometimes she's reading for action, you know, for sort of that propulsion. And sometimes she finds herself reading for a deepening, you know, she wants to sink into that character's understanding of the world. And that too can be escalation if it's done in a way that makes connections and builds upon this sort of trajectory. Of yeah. the character's journey. Yeah, yeah. So, and what's interesting is that I was just with Nicole um, in a, a workshop of another student's novel. And Nicole is such a brilliant um, reader and she had laid out all the arcs that she found were running through the writer's um, book. Um, and what I wanted to ask, so Nicole, you have talked about this as a um, as a metaphor. How have you used it? Can you give an example, actually, in your work mm -hmm. of, of of a particular arc or a particular escalation that you were trying to build on? Maybe even from this book that you're working on now um, with the um, uh, 
with the superhero. Yeah, my superhero. If you're willing to do that, because even yeah, though this I mean, book this is one still is kind of a goofy one, and I but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Is um because we talk, we've been talking a lot about like looking back and seeing what you have in your pages, you know, like your subconscious. I think um, Henriette Lazaridis always says, you know, you have to sort of raid your own pantry, you know, yes. go back and see what your subconscious, you know, stocked in that, in those early pages that you have to work with. And I realized I had this old, you know, grandfather clock um, that keeps rotten time. And I had put in in a couple of different scenes. And my novel is asking questions about progress and time and things like that. And I've shown you this clock a number of times and it's a little detail, but at some point I'm gonna leverage that clock and I'm gonna make it do something. Maybe it'll start working again. Maybe it'll go backwards. You know, Maybe one of the characters will stand up and walk over and fix it finally. You know, but something like that, so that there's these constant little changes, even in the fabric of the story, even in the tapestry, you know, we're, we're always looking for places where we're getting to that, that resolution in a way. Um, and that's sort of an example of sort of in the backdrop of the novel, but yeah. in terms of character, you know, it's really about making choices, right? and forcing choices and giving them no option but to make a choice. Um, because again, it's like, you know, stay still and die. The novel dies, it just doesn't go anywhere. And again, I had to learn this the hard way in Mommy Lynn when my first, my incubator novel, because you kept saying, she's not doing anything. She's not, <laughs> she's, gotta, she, what, she's gotta make a choice. You know, what does she want? And, you know, it was a really hard novel for me because it took me a really, I had a character who I didn't know, I didn't know what they wanted. And um, yeah, and uh, that's really hard. I oftentimes now when I'm reading for people, if they're like, well, this character, you know, she's just sort of stuck and she doesn't want anything. I'm like, oh God, please make her want something because this is just, it's not gonna work. You have to want something because you have to provide as the author that force against that want in order to create tension and friction and, and progress, you know, towards yeah. the end. And so, and I, yeah, and yeah. When I'm looking for escalations, I'm always looking at what it is that the character wants, so I can harvest against it. Yes. Um, what do you mean? You said harvest against it. So yeah, that's a weird. I don't know. I, I mean, like that. Really, what um, does it mean? So, so in the novel I'm working right now, it has. Um, uh, a fair amount of violence. Um, and it's a character who wants to basically, you know, get his mother back. And in order to do that, he has to, um, uh, he has to commit a crime essentially, or he's can, trying to convince himself that he's gonna commit a crime. Mm -hmm. But he's also a very, in a lot of ways, timid guy, you know? And so this is a very uncomfortable situation for him. And so I'm constantly looking, at ways to um, get him towards that big culmination, but make it difficult, you know, make him go through um, friction, you know, that so to get to that goal that he has of committing this crime, it's difficult and painful. And, um, but once he opens that door and he walks through it, he can't close it again. Yes. You know, what is it yeah. in his desire that makes him, um, that makes this so challenging because right. I want to read about challenge. I want to read about 
you know, somebody who has a hard time in life. Yeah. And to go back to your point of, I remember one day I, I, I ride trains a lot. I'm always on public transportation because I don't own a car and I'm very stubborn about that. Um, and I was riding the train from Lowell down, down to Boston and, and getting ready for my teaching day. And on the side of the train, someone had written in this beautiful graffiti, um, yearning never ceases. Mm. Um, so I truly believe that if you don't, if you say, well, my character doesn't know what they want, or I think it's more a matter of that you don't know what your character wants and that you're actually not paying close enough attention to your character. Um, and that you're, you're ignoring the humanity in them that of course they want something. <laughs> Yearning never ceases. We all want something and it could be quiet. It could be weird. It could be, but there's, there's a reason why we wake up and get out of bed in the morning. Or maybe that's what your character wants to just stay in bed all the day, which is actually what propelled um, the no a full novel. Um, shoot, what was my year of rest and relaxation? Fabulous novel. I mean, right. that's not, I mean, how do you escalate a, a character who wants nothing more than sleeping? Then sleeping. And you do it through the secondary characters. Yeah. So she's got in that particular novel, she's got a friend who she doesn't particularly like who keeps coming into her and visiting her in her apartment and poking at her and poking at her and poking at her. And she also has it's um, my year of rest and relaxation. It's probably the, the most exquisite example of using a therapist or a psychologist, a psychiatrist, um, psychiatrist in a book because the psychiatrist is terrible and she keeps, um, you know, prescribing her various pills and medicines that she yeah. should not have. Um, <laughs> and the psychiatrist is probably should be banned from practicing and should be actually in a mental asylum. Um, so, um, pay attention to what, cause you're, if you're not paying attention to, and you might just need to write and continue to write and write and write and think and think and think to figure out what your character wants. Yeah. And I have found too, that particularly if you have multiple points of views, um, if one character is kind of lost in what they want, the other character stands out so much more um, in terms of um, uh, character, in terms of what we remember. Yeah. Um, and so, and so your character can be invisible. This does not mean, however, that they have agency to get what they want. Right. Right. And that's very interesting. And that's compelling. Yeah. Cause can, can they find that agency? Can they, well, you know, is that the change that the novel is trying to produce? Yeah. Um, you know, and like, that's what escalation I think for me really ends up being coming is the change the novel aims to produce in that character. Yes. Um, you know, the, the, the crucible in which we place them. Yeah. Um, you know, another metaphor I always think about is, um, you know, if you have a fire and you have one log burning, it'll burn out. But if you add another log, the fire keeps getting bigger and keeps going, mm -hmm. so, you know, think about way, I think about ways that, um, I can add to that fire. Yes. Know, in different threads. And I think there are a lot of writers who are paying attention to, and I'm, I can be one of them. They're paying attention to, they want to make pretty sentences or they want to make beautiful setting descriptions. And so they back away from adding wood to the fire because they worry that it might be too loud. Um, 
and they worry that it might be too much of a fire. And, and also what I think they're worried about is they're worried that they won't be able to control it anymore and they won't be able to make it pretty anymore. And mm -hmm. so what I recommend is throwing caution to the wind in your process and trying some things out, trying, yeah. allowing, allowing things to happen, allowing your characters to do things that they can't take back and seeing what happens. I always make a joke about my novel Bottomland because I'm always working with highly repressed characters. So in, in Bottomland, I just got sick of it and I let my characters do whatever they wanted. And in the first version of the story, I realized that all my characters wanted to do was slap each other because they were so <laughs> sick of each other. And they were just all of a sudden I was riding along and they were just slapping each other, which is odd. I'm not much of a slapper. I've never actually been slapped, um, but Late it created something in interesting for me to go back in and revise. Um, and so allowing that to happen on the page and allowing your characters to kind of get away from you in that way can be really, really interesting. And yeah, yeah. And you follow them up the wrong side of the mountain and you see what's there or you follow, you know, and then. Yes. And then and that's the other thing. It's like you go back. You're like, okay, that didn't work. You go back down the mountain and you make a different choice. You send up another part of the mountain and you see if that one's more fruitful and more productive to the change you're trying to create in this character. Because escalations inherently have to be about that character. It right? has to be, yeah. yeah. Escalations are part of plot and everybody has a plot in their novel, even if they think they don't. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and so tomorrow we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about beyond Freitag or beyond kind of the usual Western um, plot structures that we've been handed because there are other there's thousands of other forms that you can use mm -hmm. um, that can because sometimes some of these forms that we've been handed um, in the western world just don't fit people very well and so so how can we find escalation actually Antonia Nelson when she talks about escalation she says I don't think about plot I think about escalation so mm -hmm. she's one of those people that doesn't even like the word plot yeah um and so we're going to talk about that. Um, but I also like you might have to find a different novel for a different mountain for your character to climb. And sometimes yeah. that can feel like, damn it, I've wasted months. I've wasted a year. <laughs> um, but that is just part of the process. And you it can be painful and it can you can be like, oh, my God, I'm just going to shoot myself in the head. But um, not really. Um, but <laughs> I'm not really I'm not into weapons. Um, but but it, it, it sometimes that's just part of the process. Yeah. Um, and Nicole, before we talk today, you said something brilliant about craft. Oh, I was I, the more I do this, the more I try to do this, the more I think that craft really is just the way you figure it out. Yeah. You know, we know we want to tell stories. We know we want to tell stories that have meaning and say something. How do we get there? And you know, how do craft is the deployment of tools that we we refine in order to figure it out, you know, and how we do it. Excellent, yeah. excellent. So we, let's end on that brilliance. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. Again, to, tomorrow, yes, please vote. If you're in the U.S., we have a lot of people around the world listening, and if you're not in the U.S., pray for us, maybe. <laughs> um, tomorrow, we're going to talk about, again, other forms beyond Frytech, so other ways of craft or other ways that you figure it out. And we're going to have Ethan Gilsdorf, Ethan Gilsdorf on, as well as Christopher Boucher. Um, and if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. Novelist podcast. You can find it on our Substack page or on other podcast 
platforms. And you can also find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Nicole, it has been fabulous to have you with us. I've been so happy and I hope everyone else has a brilliant writing day and we've given you a lot of food for thought. Thank you very much. Go get them. Go get them. Have you lost what you found? Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind and you go where it tells you to go, but you never